There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. So with us in the studio is one of our favorite bookworms, Sarah Hamdan. Welcome. Yay, so happy to be here. Thank you. I and love, you are both dazzling, I have to say. I that. love your hat. Oh, I've forgotten to put mine on. Alison, you take over very briefly. Oh, you totally need to put your hat on. So for those of you who cannot currently see us, and we encourage you to see us by checking in on our Facebook live feed, the amazing Annabelle is wearing a beautiful, glittery, Santa-style hat with white pom-pom, white fur headband, and sequins in red, green, and blue. Over to my right, the gorgeous Sarah is also wearing a Santa-style hat with a fluffy fur headband and a little pom-pom. I myself am wearing my very own Daiso Store Christmas tree headband featuring a seven-inch Christmas tree atop my head. I feel like you've done this before, Alison. Just once or twice. <laughs> like you missed the calling there to be a <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was born to be a fashion commentator. Instead, I'm a books commentator. This is brilliant. I love today. So Sarah is currently editor of digital marketing hub Think with Google, Middle East, North Africa. And her hotel review and beach reads blog Holidays in Heels has nearly 20,000 followers on social media. And she regularly writes pieces for CNN Travel, Harper's Bazaar and um, more. So it's great to have you with us in the studio. And I don't know why I expected you to be traveling and reading a pile of books on a train or plane somewhere. But I'm so glad that you're here with us. Honestly, I think I'd prefer to be here with you talking about books. This is like a vacation for me. Amazing. And so we are going to dip into a couple of fiction reads. But before I do, what was the best book that you read this year? This is like asking someone what's a favorite song or color. So I feel like it really depends on mood. But if I had to choose, I would probably say Educated. It was just one of those books that really stays with you. And I kept talking to everybody about it. And it's a true story. It's based on her life. It was a deeply, deeply moving account of just how somebody was able to change their life completely. I'm a big believer in the power of going to school and learning and books. So it was just a fantastic read. Yeah, Educated by Tara Westover was amazing. I saw it on a friend's nightstand. Uh, Shout out to Rhiannon Navin, author of Only Child. And uh, I saw it on her nightstand, picked it up, started leafing through it and was like, riveted like I sat there on the floor to read this book it's uh, it's about a woman who grows up in a fundamentalist extremist survivalist family in the wilds of is it Idaho yeah or, I think yeah. so it's somewhere in the Midwest and what happens when she escapes that family and redefines her own life and goes to uh, Harvard and Oxford and and gets educated and it's just so beautifully written. Mm-hmm. The right, I, I mean, the story is something extraordinary on its own, but the writing style, like she could have been writing about garbage bags and I would have been like, wow, <laughs> this is fabulous. And something she does beautifully, like I work with a lot of memoirists as an editor and most of us are worried about angering our family when we write the truth about our families. And I think Tara Westover does a really great job of telling her own truth while also recognizing that other people have other versions of these stories and she doesn't undercut herself or deny her own truth but she does recognize that other people saw these events differently and, and she does it in a beautiful powerful way and, and despite the gravity of it I still found it uplifting like at the end yes. I was like wow this was inspiring I didn't want to go and cry in a corner it was really beautiful beautiful book I, it's one of the best books I've ever read not just this year 
Oh, wow. High recommendation there. I, I loved it as well. Um, uh, my favourite book for 2019, though, was definitely uh, An American Marriage by Tyree Jones. I keep saying this. I know people are bored of me saying this, but I absolutely adored An American Marriage. And Tyree Jones is coming to the festival. Um, and I love that it was inspired by an overheard conversation as well, because I, I, do, yeah. I do love eavesdropping in coffee shops and things like that. And she, she basically overheard a wife say to presumably her husband um you know if it were me would you have waited yeah would you have waited seven years and just that sparking this whole this beautiful novel about you know this these newly this newlywed couple torn apart by a false conviction Mm -hmm. it was just just incredible so yeah Tyree is coming to the Emirates Lit Fest next year so do get tickets to that because she is a wonderful speaker and she'll have a lot to say about an American marriage and her other novels as well so let's dive into our fiction books today so um the best of adam sharp by graham simsian would you mind introducing us to the book so when i first heard about the book like most people the reason that the author's name sounded familiar is because he wrote the rosie project and those series which was you know wildly popular um and i thought that it would be along the same lines maybe even a sequel so that's the reason why i personally picked it up Um, It is completely different. Uh, What I loved about this book is it's very music-based. So it's about a pianist, and the the music is almost like a central character in the book that exists among the other people. Um, And it's about uh, stale marriage and looking back nostalgically at, you know, what if he had gone with a different partner that he was wildly in love with in the past? I think a lot of people will have these what if questions. It has that element of, you know, sliding doors, Gwyneth Paltrow movie to it. Um, I think it's a great holiday read. Great holiday read. Um, So the reason that I thought it would be great to talk about this book, The Best of Adam Sharp, is where it comes to Graham Simsian, the focus is always on The Rosie Project. Everybody knows The Rosie Project. And if I had to give a book to my mum, my dad, my best friend, my partner, if I had to try and find a book that covered all of those people, The Rosie Project is one of the few books that I feel I'm able to give to pretty much anybody. Um, Did you feel that way about this one? The Rosie Project, absolutely. We have a book club at work, and that's one of the choices because I just felt like it would appeal to so many different people. Uh, This one, The Very Best of Adam Sharp, I think less so. Not Um, so much. Yeah, and I do feel like it's maybe unfair or annoying to the author to constantly have these comparisons to The Rosie Project, which was so great and appealed to so many people. This one was a bit diluted experience for me if I'm very honest, but I did read it all the way to the end. And, you know, having work and two kids, that's an accomplishment. Yeah, (laughs) well Um, done. So I finished it and it was okay. It was interesting to me because I found that um, I read some reviews online after I had read it. Most of the people online really liked the first half of the book and Mm. really just actively hated and despised the second half of the book. And for me, it was exactly the reverse. Um, A lot of people online found that the second half, they thought it was unrealistic. They thought it was, you know, the fulfillment of a middle-aged white dude's fantasy. And I found that the beginning of it, I found the hero kind of whiny, and he was not a fun person to spend time with, which doesn't mean he has to be good or nice, but I did not find myself compelled by his actions and thoughts to know more. Whereas for me, the second half was much more about the complexity of human relationships and how, you know, as you were saying, in a stale marriage, how we start thinking that fantasy might be better and forgetting that fantasy is better because it's not really happening and reality takes work to actually make it happen. 
I will completely echo that. And I think part of it is because I felt like with the Rosie Project, the characters were so defined and quirky and each one of them just kind of popped on the page. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one, it just felt, it's exactly what you're saying. It could be any middle-aged guy that's feeling bored in a marriage. Um, she could have been, you know, the woman that he's daydreaming about was just a pretty girl from his past. Like she didn't really have that extra depth I was looking for. And it's tricky. Like as writers, we know character development is not easy to nail. But we see her through the male gaze the yeah. entire time. We exactly. see her in relationship to him. Like we barely know anything about her. And even when she shows up on the page again, we still don't really get much about her beyond what he thinks about her. It's been a while since I read the Rosie Project series. I read, so it's the Rosie Project, the Rosie Effect, and then the Rosie Result. But I think we see every other character. I think it's always through the eyes of Don Tillman. So it's always through the male gaze in those books as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. Do you remember? Yeah, it is through one perspective. But I think that they did a more well-rounded job of describing Rosie to us. It wasn't just based on appearance or I don't know. Yeah, I just wanted a little bit extra. And I think because the Rosie Project was great in that area, I expected more of this. And it's interesting to me, too, that Sarah says that the music served as another character in the book because it did. But one of the things I often tell writers is don't count on music to do your mood work for you or make emotional connections for your readers because we don't all know the same music and we don't all have the same connections with those songs. And while he did a really good job of conveying how the character felt through that song, I was not, I, I know a lot of the songs, but they're not really my vernacular. I obviously don't have the same connection to them that the character, the author does. And it felt a little bit like he was counting on the works of the great songwriters of the 60s and 70s to do his writing for him. Which not everyone's familiar with, right? Like exactly. it's a generational thing too. I knew some of the songs, but not all. I actually looked some of them up. Yeah. So it felt a little bit like making the reader work a little harder unnecessarily. There's a playlist in the back of the book. Yeah. Maybe I'd appreciate it more. But even then, <laughs> I'm not going to have the same connection that he does. Graham Simpson is coming to the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature next February. He is best known as the author of The Rosie Project or The Rosie Series, which um, has The Rosie Effect as well, and also The Rosie Result, which is the final book. And he's going to be talking about the last, um, the last book focusing on that in the session at the festival because the the trilogy that we that we all know and love has sadly come to a close um and he'll be talking about that but the best of adam sharp is a standalone novel and i thought it'd be interesting to talk about a book that maybe doesn't get as much airtime as the rosie series and we mentioned the song brown eyed girl and i just want to remind you of our competition question so you can be in with a chance to win a copy of this wonderful holiday read the best of adam sharp by telling us the name of the original artist of brown eyed girl and i think i'm just gonna remind you of what the song sounds like just to give you a little bit of an idea is this sounding familiar oh yeah Sarah, do you, do you actually know the answer? Not sure. Hey, where did we go? So to be in with a chance to win a copy of The Best of Adam Sharp, you have to tell us who's singing this. So let us know on 4001. And I wish I could play you the rest of the song, but we do need to get back to talking about books because we are a book show after all. So final thoughts on The Best of Adam Sharp. Uh, who would you recommend this to? 
somebody who likes music, who has questions about what if, uh, somebody who wonders about stale relationships and how to recharge them a little bit. Um, Would you use this as a guide? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Definitely not. No, not a how-to guide? No, not so much. Absolutely not. No, I, I like the fact that uh, we talked about the likability of the character initially, and I don't find him likable at all, but that didn't bother me. As such. I just found him bland. You just found him bland. I wanted okay. him to just take charge and do something <laughs> real. I don't know. It felt like he was being led a little bit by what happened. Uh, I wanted a more like kind of active, strong experience from either her or him or even her husband. It felt like he was not having the world's greatest relationship and yet felt like it was not his job to adapt to that or adjust it or take an action to fix it or take an action to leave it. Like he really just kind of let the women do everything. Even though I agree with absolutely everything that you're saying, I still liked it. I think more because of all of those flaws and because it was slightly mundane, because it felt it felt real. And I keep thinking about something um, that F Flora, who's co-hosted on the show before, she works with me at the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. She mentioned the other day that we expect a lot of our characters. We expect them to do things that make sense. We expect them to be logical. And every book club discussion that I've been at, there's always been a comment about, yes, but why did they do this? It doesn't make any sense. And it's because... I think people don't make sense. People are people are incredibly flawed. They're illogical. And so I think I liked it because it felt like I know an Adam Sharp. Yeah, I can but, definitely but you're still see like, that. No, I didn't. It's just sort of I see like that, it. but at the same time, every character was behaving in this way. So I would I would agree with you if it was just him and then there were a couple of other strong characters thrown into the mix, but everything seemed a little bit convenient and slightly dry like his own wife just kind of bowed out and let him experience yeah, this thing and then her husband was like oh well okay we'll try you know it was a little bit too convenient see and i think the character i liked the most was the 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 love object's husband who takes an interesting role that we would not expect most husbands to take I and agree. to me it was incredibly powerful to watch this guy do something that hurt him deeply in order to see if his relationship could move through it and survive. See, that felt mm -hmm. like a clear choice. Yeah. So I agree with you. I'd say that that's the strongest stance. But even then, it just felt like everyone was just letting the story unfold by itself. And we, there weren't really active choices made. I'd, I'd like to I'd like to hear from him at the festival about what it was like because he, he wrote this in between the second Rosie book and the third Rosie book. So I'd be interested to know what it was like and why why he felt like he wanted to write this. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's from personal experience. Maybe. Or Never know. I wonder. He, well, he, and I think in the end, like, I did find the message of the book positive because mm -hmm. it we sort of start with my relationship isn't entertaining me, so I'll just check out. But we end up at the end with, okay, I got my fantasy and I decided that I prefer reality. And, and I think that ultimately it was a positive for me. So you actually have another book that you brought with you and it seems fitting to mention it because of what you were saying off air and we were talking about The Rosie Project and Graham Simsian. So what's the book that you would like to just recommend very quickly? So in the same way that the lead of The Rosie Project was quirky and had his, you know, funny way of behaving with people, this book is very, very similar. And I'll, I'll also say it's like Eleanor Oliphant. So imagine that character, but Japanese and working in a convenience store. 
Um, it's a quick, light read. I think it's just over 100 pages. It's very, very funny. I got it um, just because I saw it in a bookstore in London on the displays everywhere. And it it's hilarious. And it's about this person's quest for love. It's not a new story necessarily, but I think the cultural element and then because I really enjoyed Eleanor Oliphant and Rosie Project. This was my kind of book. Read it in one flight. <laughs> What's very the fun. book called and, and who wrote it? It's called Convenience Store Woman by Sayaka Murata. And it's a very bright blue cover with a fish on it. <laughs> you, you had me at bright blue cover <laughs> with a fish on it. And that sounds really compelling because in Asia, convenience stores are so much more the center of, of community life than they are in, in most other places. That sounds great. That sounds fun. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Uh, so after that lovely, bright, bubbly recommendation, we're moving now to something that is an ugly cry read. I think that's the the best way of describing this. I, that's what you mentioned off air. After the End by Claire McIntosh. Um, Max and Pip are the strongest couple you know, only now they're facing the most important decision of their lives and they don't agree. I was surprised about this book existing and Claire writing this because she's primarily known as a crime fiction writer. And so when I saw this on the shelf and I saw the, you know, the orange cover and the tree, I was like, what what kind of crime fiction novel is this? The last time she was at the festival, she was talking about her, her crime novels as well. And she's a former police officer. But this is based on personal experience, isn't it? So exactly that. I do have a confession to make. When you approached me to read this book and I saw the author's name, I was quickly scrolling on my phone I saw that she was a crime fiction writer, and I love me some good crime fiction. So I was like, like, okay, (laughs) sign me up. Let's do this. And then when I discovered what the book was about, I said, okay, not my kind of thing. I don't enjoy books that make me sad. This book didn't make me sad. This broke my heart into a million tiny little pieces, and it was just devastating. And I think part of it is because I am a parent of young children. And it happened that when I was reading this book, my daughter had a fever, which is the lightest, you know, all kids get these little things. We're talking about parents here who have to face the impossible decision of what to do with a terminally ill child, of letting them try an operation that might let them live a little bit longer or pulling them off of life support. I mean, as a, I got goosebumps just now saying it again. This is a horrific scenario for anybody. And it hit me hard. I honestly haven't been able to finish it. But I think, like you said, I have a friend at work who tells me, have you read anything good lately that would give me a good cry? Like there are people who enjoy Mm. this feeling that books can give them. I'm not one, but I know that there are people like that out there. So if you want the best ugly cry ever, pick up after the end. Would you mind just reminding our listeners who are just tuning in, Alison, about what the main impossible decision at the heart of the novel is? So the novel hinges on a place where a husband and wife are deciding whether or not to remove life support from their critically terminally ill child. And one parent is advocating for an experimental therapy that might prolong the child's life. And the other parent is advocating for it is not a life if there is not quality of life. And what I love, I think, the most about this book is the structure goes back and forth in time and you get to see both sides of a decision played out in the book in a way that you don't normally see. Like normally the writer has to pick, pick one side of the decision or the other. And I really love what Claire McIntosh did with going back and forth and seeing how it doesn't actually matter who wins because everybody loses. 
I think the only thing I'll add, um, even though this wasn't the kind of read that I would personally pick up, is the details were so crisp in this because it's taken from her own life. So just little things about all that time that she personally spent in the intensive care units and then the fluorescent lighting in the hospital and the beeping sounds of the machines, it really does come alive. You're there because she was really there. So I would say that this is a very distinct um, opposite to the Adam Sharp book where everything felt a little bit bland. You get that sharp focus. It's like watching a movie in HD. But I didn't want to watch this movie in HD. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's a hard subject to, to have to confront, isn't it? I mean, you're a parent as well, so this must have been a difficult read. Yes, I have two children who are in this age group. So the child, I think, was two or three years old. Mine are four and one. So I, I know what a child is like at this stage and how they should be and playing outside and all of that. And you just, your heart breaks because they're in a hospital bed. I just, I can't. I it's can't. a powerful book. I, I am not myself a parent, but it's a really powerful book about loss and about the kind of loss that happens when you are unresolved. Mm. And, and I think that's one of the powerful things about it. Um, it, I am not an ugly cry reader the vast majority of the time, but it, it's a powerful book. You know, I, th I think if you're up for a really emotional deep dive, this is the book. And I do think that the other aspect of it is looking at how a couple can rebuild a relationship after a trauma um, of any kind. So I think that there's that secondary story, which I think can appeal to many people. And I do think that this is the kind of film that a, a kind of book that a Hollywood actress might take and win an Oscar off the back of by mm -hmm. becoming uh, kind of ugly. And you can see yeah. it, you know. It's, there's at least three Oscar quality roles in this book. Yeah. Yeah. So strong characters and... It's a very powerful story. I don't know if it's for everyone. So if, if, you're, if you're just tuning in, just reminding everybody, we're talking about After the End by Claire McIntosh. Sorry, Alison, you were saying. No, it's, I was, I was going to say too, it's fascinating for people to watch how even small choices ricochet in a large way when Absolutely. they're in the context of a giant situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it is an impossible decision. Uh, and Claire McIntosh is actually coming to the Literature Festival next February. And I think this is one of those stories where even if you haven't read the book, it's interesting to come along and just hear about what she went through and the process of actually writing something that was so close to home. This is Claire actually talking about the inspiration for the, the book. We spent a number of weeks, uh, months, neonatal intensive care and we reached a point where we had to make a very difficult decision about our son's future. Mm. Um, and uh, I, remember asking, um, I remember asking the doctor what would happen if my husband and I wanted different things? This, this suddenly, this was something that we couldn't compromise on. Uh, and she, she just said, "You, you have to, because the alternative is unthinkable." Mm. And the book that I've written is about the unthinkable. So it's about a, a couple, Max and Pip, who who love each other very much, but who love their son more and want different things for him. Love each other very much, but love their son even more and want different things for him. Claire McIntosh talking about the inspiration behind After the End, which is her latest book, and she'll be appearing at the Emirates Lit Fest next year to talk about it. Um, who would you recommend this to? I was thinking, I mean, I haven't actually read My Sister's Keeper by Jodie Pico, but I was thinking fans of that might enjoy this. Fans exactly. of Jodie Pico. Yeah, absolutely. Or people who are about to do a long uh, trans-oceanic flight and need some eye moisture. 
incredibly specific. Market. You think I'm kidding, and yet I'm not. So it really does help to read, you know, a bit of a weepy book or watch a weepy movie on a long flight. And like you say, some people are really after an ugly cry read. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.